Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? This morning? All right, we're doing okay? Well, um, well good morning to all of you online. Uh, if you're watching online, welcome. Uh, my name is Eric. Um, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church, and uh, I get to uh, bring the word. Uh, our, our mission statement is pretty simple. We just want to lead you closer to Jesus and closer to each other. And so we do that by uh, singing uh, in the morning. Uh, we, we, we draw you into or, or appoint you to Jesus. And then uh, we, we, we take a book of the Bible sometimes and we'll, we'll go verse by verse and, and kind of just walk you through a book of the Bible. And so, and I've been doing that in First Peter. This is kind of a, a, a book that I've kind of been going uh, through by myself. Um, and Canaan's been doing his own book studies with you guys, but I've been going through First Peter. So if you want to get a head start and kind of start turning there uh, to First Peter, uh, it's been a uh, really cool journey. Uh, just learning more about this book and and, and what it means uh, to um, to us, the church, and the importance of this uh, letter to a people who are suffering. Uh, a people that in the midst of suffering, Paul is calling them to be holy. And sounds like the exact, so relevant for us today. And, and I've said this uh, many times, but um, a lot of their suffering was not uh, physical persecution. A lot of what they were dealing with was uh, like social issues and uh, verbal uh, persecution. Uh, abuse and things that sometimes turn into f physical persecution. Uh, but yeah, so so I think this book, you know, you know, for me used to be seemed a little bit not relevant because most of the time when people talked about First Peter, they talked about uh, Nero and how he was killing Christians in in the in the stadium and how he was turn. Uh, um, um, lighting them on fire to, to, to light the roads and stuff. And so I was like, I don't know that type of suffering. But, but Peter really never, in all of 1 Peter, really never talks about the physical suffering. He only talks about the emotional suffering uh, that, that we deal with also. That's pretty common to us. And so uh, where we're going to be is, uh, is uh, 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 11 through 17. Um, let's pray and then we'll get started. God, grateful for your love. Thank you that I get to stop right now and uh, talk to you. Um, and it is my desire um, to be led and guided by you in this sermon. I have a lot written down, I have a lot of thoughts but I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide every moment of this time uh, for your sake, uh, but uh, that, that we would be encouraged by your truth, that we would be encouraged by your spirit today and be changed and, and, and made new, God, uh, by your revelation uh, this morning. So God, would you do that? Would you be so kind to, to use me uh, to speak a word of truth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, many of us uh, that are here today have, have lived through probably uh, several presidents. Um, some of those presidents that we have been excited about coming into office and some of those presidents we're probably not so excited about. Uh, but many of us been through that and, and one of the things that I think over the years I've heard when during the election time, we, we hear this statement, even I've probably said it before, it's like, man, if, if Al Gore gets elected, I'm out of here. You know, or if President Bush gets elected, man, I'm going to Africa or whatever. We, we say those, I mean, I've heard that from many people throughout the years. And um, I don't think any of those people actually, uh, you know, followed through with that. But that is the type of emotion that we get when we hear about authority that we don't like, right? authority, representatives, uh, uh, governors, or whatever, that we just don't approve of, what do we do? We, we, we say, I'm out of here. I don't like them. And, and, but there is something that, that God calls us to, and we're going to learn here in 1 Peter today, that, that talks about you know, uh, uh, how we are supposed to honor and submit to authority. Not, this, not just authority that we like and approve of, but authority uh, that is over us. Um, uh, we, uh, let's look at how Peter instructs his beloved friends, and that's how he kind of starts in verse 11, his beloved friends in the midst of government and, and, and the emperor that hated them, in the midst of a government that allowed the killing of Jesus uh, and the ongoing persecution of Christians. So the government that, that you're going to see that he's calling uh, them to submit to is the same government that allowed the Jews to say, hey, we need to kill Jesus. Uh, the same government that eventually will kill Peter. The same government that, um, that eventually will, 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 will kill many Christians in the stadium because of uh, what they called was, they called us the atheists. You know, many times we, they call, we call a, a non-believer, a person who doesn't believe in God, the atheist. They called us the atheist. Why? Because we didn't worship emperor, the emperor, Nero. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't worship all the pagan and many gods. So they, so they called us the atheists. And so we were the one that were outside of what they have called, uh, that the government had called us to do. Starting... Um, I started this in, in chapter one uh, a few months ago in First Peter, uh, and, and Peter's strategy to these people in the midst uh, of persecution is to remind them of who they are in Christ. Um, is to remind them that Christ uh, has given them new birth in chapter one. It says he has given them new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His encouragement to me and you is not to tell them or, or me that everything is going to work out. And, and Jesus is coming to save you from uh, what you're going through today. Nope. His encouragement is that God will keep you while you're suffering. He will keep you during your suffering. God will hold you here on earth, and he will hold your inheritance uh, in heaven. And that's in chapter 1. We saw that. He actually tells them that the trials are intentional to sanctify them, uh, to sanctify you for when God will be revealed, and both Christ and you will celebrate 
on that day. Verse 13 in chapter 1, it starts to, uh, he, he starts to kind of give the imperative, these commands to live a certain way. And, and you would say, you would think uh, uh, somebody would possibly back off if, if they are going through so much. But no, he says, no, this is exactly what you've been called to. So now that you know that your home is in heaven and, and your trials are normal, part of being on this earth as a Christian, live pure and holy lives, he's asking them to do. Live pure and holy lives so that, uh, that they would glorify God. He quotes when, uh, uh, when God says, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. So he's, he's calling them to a higher standard because they are not of this world. We are not of this world. Chapter 2, uh, I, a few weeks ago, I started there. And chapter 2 kind of starts um, uh, similar to how uh, we're going to start here in verse 11. But it starts with a, another appeal, a, a, another imperative command towards holy living. If you look at chapter 2, verse 1, it says, he says, therefore, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word. So he's calling specific sins in our hearts in the midst of, of, of this persecution, in the midst of maybe, um, you know, a government that, that, is, that we don't agree with. He, he's calling them, he's calling them to holy living. He call, he's calling you and me to holy living. He said that malice that you feel because they wronged you, he says, rid yourself of those things. Um, and he goes on, he goes, he said, as a child of God, rid yourself of the things. And he explains it. Uh, it is not just so that good would prevail, like, like on the comic books, but so that God would show his power through weak and frail vessels like ourselves. He points to the fact that your belief in Jesus, though it ha has caused you so many problems, is actually Jesus, this person's caused you to, the problems, is actually the cornerstone of the church, the cornerstone of your life. The cornerstone is that, that, that major building block when somebody's building a building. It's that, that foundational piece that you cannot build the, uh, the structure uh, the right way unless that cornerstone. That, that person who's causing you the problem, Jesus, is actually the key to your fulfillment in life, the key to Pillar Church. If, if, if we're going to be a church that glorifies God, Jesus must be the cornerstone. He is, sorry, he is the cornerstone uh, of the church. Uh, we who have believed in Jesus will receive his praise because we we, even though we've been persecuted, we are a chosen race, it says. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. So that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness to his marvelous light. <clears throat> Verse 10, it says, you were, <clears throat> sorry, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. <clears throat> You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's when we get to verse 11. So, so that buildup was to kind of basically come back to, to our private sin or our personal and private holiness. 
There's, there's two things that I, I want to make sure I point out today. Peter, what he's calling us to, these two things that I see. He's calling us to private holiness. Okay? Private holiness. You know, that's the holiness that sometimes that we, we don't think as important as what people think about us. We had an incident uh, yesterday with one of our kids that kind of embarrassed us as a family, you know, did something on, on the Internet and sent a picture that we were like, what? Our kid did that? And that, that's the type of holiness that we care about more because we're like, oh, that embarrassed our family. But Peter calls us, you're going to see in this first verse, to private holiness. The, the, the holiness that nobody at this church will know about unless I tell them. He's going to call us to private holiness. And then he's going to call us to, the second one is to, to public holiness. Or I, 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 I said um, it's going to be a call to um, living a life, um, sorry, to publicly be exceptional in, in, in public, exceptional. So uh, uh, to private holiness uh, but so they, the, the public exceptionalness will, will come only from the private holiness. So uh, I'm going to read uh, verses 11 through 17. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors or to or Oh, I'm sorry, as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Verse 15, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Again, two things. Private, privately be holy, he's calling us to be, and then publicly to be exceptional in, the, in public. And if you want to put a third thing, if, you, if, you, if you're a note taker, I would say honor everyone. That would be the third one. So privately be holy, publicly be exceptional, and honor everyone. Verse 11 starts with this imperative. Uh, similar to verse uh, 1. It says, he, um, sorry, uh, these are the things that, that Peter understands that privately his friends are still dealing with. What are these things? It says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit. No, I'm sorry. Verse 11. I apologize, guys. All right. Verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. He, he first of all kind of talks to them and says, dear friends. In, in some translations, maybe one of your translations says, beloved. This is his tender way 
of, of, of communicating what is important to them or, or what is important for him, them to know. And it is, it is, I urge you, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles, people who, who don't have their home here on earth, who actually's home is, some, is in heaven, you people, dear friends, I, I urge you as strangers to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. It says abstain, abstain, to separate yourself from it. We, we hear the word abstinence and we know what that means, right? Well, he's saying, he's saying completely get rid of or, or stay away from these things. Abstain from those things that, that draw you in. It, we, we, in our community Bible reading this week, we, we read of, of um, Adam and Eve's um, sin where Eve is, is tempted by the serpent. She's tempted by something that is already in her that's saying, you know what, I wonder if what would happen if I disobey God. In that moment, what did she want to do? She wanted selfishly what she wanted. She didn't in that moment want what God wanted. Guys, the reason that we have struggle, we struggle with uh, abstaining from our flesh, our sinful desires, the reason I have struggled at any point in time that I struggle, you know, to, to, to fight my sinful desires is when I do not believe what God said. Those are the moments that I, that, that I sin. Is when I believe that what I want is better than what God told me is better. It's the moments in those times that I just do not believe God. I didn't say I don't know what God said. I, that's not what I'm saying. We all know what God says. We, 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 we know even without even reading the word wrong, a lot of what wrong and right is. We have a moral compass. But it's in those moments when we know God has called us to, to do something, it's, it's those moments when we do not believe that God is better, that he's sweeter, that he's more satisfying than this sin that I want. I want to gratify my flesh because I do not believe God is better in those moments. That's why I sin. That's why I, that, that's why I um, succumb to the sinful desires in me. I do not believe God in those, in those moments. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and as exiles to abstain. Strangers and exiles. It, he, he's saying that you're the stranger. I know you, you, you're looking out there at the world and you see that they're having fun. They seem to be enjoying this. But he's making sure they know you have been born again. You're an exile. You're a stranger. You are not of this, of this world. You have been called to this world, but not of this world. Your residence is in heaven. Abstain. Abstain from sinful desires that wage war against what? Your soul. Guys, when, when, when you go to war, the, the word here used is war here. When you go to war, what, what are two people doing? They're trying, to, they're trying to 
take territory, take residence. They take, they're trying to take control of that area, right? So they're trying to take control of the area. Your sinful desires, your sinful passions, some translations say, are trying to take control of that area of your life. Your soul, your soul, your soul is where, where the most meaningful part of you is. That, that is the most significant part of your life. That's where your energy comes from. Whatever is going to come out of you, it comes from your soul. And when we lose that battle, when we lose that battle, we lose what the most important part of us in that moment. Um, the proverb says to guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard it. Guard it, because that is the thing that's going to direct you. That is the thing that in the end is going to um, uh, guide you one way or the other. Guard it. Guard it. We're in a war. Verse 12. Verse 12, it says, conduct yourselves, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Guys, Peter is calling them to live such good lives that when somebody starts talking negatively about you, they do not believe it. He's saying live such exceptional lives among other people, amongst the, 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 those unbelievers, that even they come back and say, I was wrong. Even when they start to realize that what they twisted in what you said, they realize they were wrong. Did they do that to Jesus? They twist his words. Did they? How about the uh, John the Baptist? Did they twist what he was doing? They called uh, they they called uh, Jesus as a drunkard, a, a friend of sinners. They were right about that one, though. <laughs> they, they 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 what? They, but why did they call him a friend of sinners? Because they were trying to twist what he had came for. They were trying to say something negative about him. John the Baptist, they call, uh, they, they call, they call Jesus a, a, a glutton. Um, they called, what they call John the Baptist? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, John the Baptist was, was criticized for what he did, as if he was, was, was uh, 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 calling people to himself and not to God. As when, when we are living public lives, he is calling us to live such exceptional lives. He said, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Let your works shine before men that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Verse 13 and 14, it says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord. That's a key point. 
submit to every human authority. Why? Because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Why are we submitting to authority? Why are we submitting to authority that treats us unjustly? We submit because God's plan is better than ours. We submit because he has called us to. We submit, the Bible says, because of the Lord. Not because the emperor is so great, our president is so great. We submit, we submit because God is better. His plans are better. And we can see ourselves kind of not even thinking about God because what we do is we have a president in that we like. Everything he, he does is good. But all of a sudden, we, we have a president that we don't like. Everything is negative. Same stimulus check. But the one, the, but the one from Biden we don't like. <laughs> He's going to destroy our government. He's going to bankrupt our government. We, we go back and forth based off of who is in charge rather than honoring and submitting this authority. Our plan is usually to always be treated fairly. That's our plan. And, and when we are, uh, we're not, we, we complain. Uh, we show how angry we are. God's plan is for us to submit to every human authority because of the Lord. The authority that he was calling them to submit to had very little, uh, little regard to Christians. He, he was calling this church to, to submit, and they had very little regard uh, to, to, to Christians in these days. In fact, they were hated and mistreated by the government. The government knew Christians as those who would refuse emperor worship. Peter was asking them to submit to an ungodly government because he was Lord. His plans were better. Verse 15, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. How do we silence them? By doing good. Not by taking revenge. Not by acting out, by showing how much we disapprove. We silence them by uh, the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Unbelievers would love to speak negatively about your behavior. They love it. They will even take your good behavior and twist it if they had to. Not always on purpose, but because they feel like there has to be a bad motive at the core of what's going on. I said at the beginning, your private holiness it's what's going to create this exceptional public testimony and witness. Your private holiness. Because they cannot, they wanna, they wanna get at the core. They, they believe that there is a problem. Here's where I talked about John the Baptist. It sounds like how, how they accused John the Baptist and Jesus of things they were doing, but they honestly, uh, they honestly, in their evil minds, twisted John the Baptist and said that he had a demon. They said that Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard, 
a friend of tax collectors. These are religious people. Gentiles are religious people also. They, they just believe in themselves. They believe in, in, in God uh, of self-fulfillment, self-help for the sake of self-gratification. Self is their religion. In the end, there was nothing credible to say about John, John the Baptist, and he, had, he led many unbelievers to Jesus because of his good works. The goal Peter seems to describe is to be such a good person of good works that when, when Jesus returns, unbelievers will have to turn to God when he returns, or they have already returned to God because of your good works. Matthew eleven eighteen 18 and 19 says, for John came neither, I'm sorry. So, so many of us think that our public testimony is, is possibly ruined. Maybe our son's uh, baseball team or basketball team, maybe our testimony at work has, has been ruined uh, because of our past sin. Here, here, here's what I say. Do you know who's writing this book? <laughs> Do you know the man who's writing this book? Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times. How about the writer of most of the, the, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who set Christians up to be killed, who persecuted Christians? If you think that you've lost your testimony, you're wrong. God will redeem, just as he redeemed Peter, just as he redeemed Paul, he will redeem you in Jesus. So what steps do we need to take? We need to joyfully repent. Guys, listen to that closely. If we have, have feels like we have lost our testimony and we are believers, we are exiles, we need to joyfully repent. Joyfully because you have an advocate, Jesus, who stands in the gap for you and he has suffered and died for your sins. For all your mistakes, those things that you think that lost your testimony, he died for every last one of those. So step one, joyfully repent. Joyfully, not because you're excited about your sin. Joyfully because it is a joy that Christ is our advocate. Jesus is our advocate and he forgives us because of his death. So you joyfully receive the forgiveness as you repent, okay? And then next, pray that God will redeem all the lost days, months, years that you wasted in selfish living amongst unbelievers. Repent, pray. Pray that God will redeem all those lost days. He will use those exact things. He will use those things that you thought were going to be detrimental to your witness. He will use exactly those things. Verse 16. It says, submit as free people, <clears throat> not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Again, Peter's concern is that we, uh, the chosen royal priesthood, would be above reproach. And one of the ways uh, to do that, 
is to submit to authority that God has established. In Romans 13, it talks about that all government is, has been established by God. If it's there, God established that. What did uh, Jesus say to Pilate when he says, do you not know that I have the power to release you? Because he was being quiet and, and, and Pilate, the Pontius Pilate, who was about to crucify him, wanted him to say something. And Jesus' only response in that moment says, you do not have any power other than what my father gives you. That's the only power you have, Pontius Pilate. So you think you're submitting. You're submitting is, 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 is because of how great the emperor is? No, it's because of how good and how great your God is. And he's established that authority. Emperor or king, president or governor that have been sent by the emperor. This is not saying that this emperor is morally good or even fair. We submit not because of how great they are, but because of how good God is. You silence the ignorant with your good works, for it is God's will. Ephesians, go right, write down Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 talks about we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created for good works. So you point you point the unbeliever to you, to, 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 to God, when you, when you submit, when you live righteously. When he tells us to submit, he tells us specifically to submit, submit as free people. People who have been liberated from the bondage of sin. People who willingly serve God, Right? A bondservant, one who goes back and places himself underneath, even though he's free. He's underneath the authority of God. Don't be the type that uses their liberty to cover evil. Our freedom is from the bondage of sin. Our freedom is not uh, to willingly sin and make mockery of Jesus' work. He will not be mocked, Galatians says. The freedom is so that we can do God's will and not have to worry about the, the enemy and, and if he's going to win. In the, in the previous verses, 1 through 10, it, it talks about how, how do not feel ashamed. Because it was easy in this time to feel ashamed because it looks like we're losing here on earth. And so we feel shame. And he says, do not feel shame. He said, you will not be shamed. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. That's verse 6 of chapter 2. Will not be shamed in the end. We are more than conquerors, Romans 8, 37. And last verse, 1 Peter 2.17. It says, honor everyone. Everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. He comes back to that. It must be important. He says it three times here. 
honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Treat everyone as valuable. Understanding that God created them and it is God's will for you to honor them. God wants you to view everyone as valuable and worthy of respect and even submit to them if that is where they are in authority. Honor them. Honor them. Don't. It's not honor them all the same way. Not every emperor will you let watch your kids. Not every government official you're going to follow every, you're going to, you're going to trust him. But honor him, value his life, her life. Value that person who, who holds authority over you. Value their life so much. Because what, what happens is, we, we as Christians, myself included, will, because the, the person has made a mockery of Christianity, we insult them. We come back at them, and we lose every bit of testimony we had of Christ. He says, honor everyone, even the one that hates you and accuses you falsely. Honor them. So when it comes to the end, they have nothing to say. They are silenced. And not only silenced, they are pointed to Jesus. And they believe because of your testimony, because of your faithfulness. Honor everyone. The person that we want to sit in the room with and we want to proclaim Christ to is the one that we don't agree with, <laughs> not the one we do agree with. I want to have an opportunity to honor that person who has mistreated me not for my sake so I, can, so I can prove to them how good of a person I am. I want to prove to them how good God is. Give me that conversation. If me and Armando get in a room, we're going to agree about everything. Put me in a room where I can proclaim to the enemy to the one that hates me, the one who doesn't agree with me, who doesn't know anything about Christianity, that doesn't, know, doesn't want anything to do with Christianity. I want time with him or her. He says, honor everyone because of that. Because just like you and me needed mercy and grace, honor them because they need the same mercy and grace that God showed you in Jesus Christ. Just love the brothers and sisters. This is, a, this is a call not only to just love the unbeliever, but specifically why the brothers and sisters? Because they're going through it. <laughs> they are going through it. Look around you right now. Look around right now. Guess what? Your brothers and sisters are going through it right now. It may be private, privately, it may be something public, but they are going through it. What does it say for them? Love them. <laughs> Love them. They need you right now. Especially those who are on the front line. 
those who are publicly professing Jesus Christ and they are getting blatantly persecuted because of it. Those brothers and sisters, Peter says, love the brothers and sisters. Check in on them. <laughs> Check in on them. Fear God and honor the emperor. When you love the brother and sister in the faith, you actually show God praiseworthy. Our love for each other here at Pillar Church, if you are a believer, it actually shows God praiseworthy. Because this exceptional life that we live in front of people, this, this exceptional life that we live in front of people, it is led by the Spirit of God. And when we love one another, the unbeliever, the unbeliever should see something different. The unbeliever should see something that is unnatural, exceptional. It's beyond, oh, they treat each other well. It's beyond that. Oh, they act like they're not from this world. <laughs> they love each other so deeply. They're willing to die for each other, but they're not only willing to die for each other, they're willing to die for me who don't, I don't even like them, and they're willing to die for me. That's exceptional. <laughs> That's beyond good works. That is exceptional works in front of unbelievers. That is what Christ has called us to. That is what God has called us to. Those type of works. The brothers and sisters especially need love because of the consistent abuse they're getting for being a public believer. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be um, exceptional to the, to the watching world because of your Holy Spirit that is in us. I pray that your spirit would be magnified in our works. That it wouldn't just be good works, but it would be works that point to you. It would be works that bring glory to you and not ourselves. That wouldn't bring glory to, uh, to Pillar Church, but our works would bring glory to you. God, I, I pray for these private, this private holiness that you call us to. I pray that we're willing to fight, that we are willing to go to war, that we are willing to abstain because you're better. Choosing you is better, but we can't see is better sometimes. So we need your spirit to show us in those moments when the flesh comes up. In those moments, show us you're better. If you don't show us by your spirit that you're better, we're going to continue to go into sinful habits and sinful ways. So God, open our eyes that we will see that you're trustworthy, that you're good, and that what you have called us to is the most satisfying, the most fulfilling thing we can do. 
So God, thank you for the purpose you've given us. God, I pray that you would help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.